Hello and welcome to Coast to Coast FC, the new Canadian soccer podcast focused on all things CPL, Canadian Championship, and more. My name is Felipe Vallejo. And I'm Mike Rice. And on this podcast, myself and Mike are joined by Reese Desmond, somebody who we are very happy to have here. And Reese, you are obviously a football analyst who created their own website, the Mastermind site. It's so lovely to have you here. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to be here and thanks for the warm introduction. It's always exciting to talk about the Canadian Premier League and and share those insights. So I'm excited to be here. Definitely. And I think this week we have a lot to talk about, about tactics and breaking down how teams broke other teams down. In the match week nine of the Canadian Premier League, we're going to go, like I said, into some of the facts, stats and moments about each game. And at the very end, we'll all pick our player of the week from this week's match day. Make sure to follow us on our Twitter at Coast to Coast FC and on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts and more. So you know exactly when we upload. But without further delay, let's go straight into the action. We're going to go with the most exciting game, um, which uh, for us was Calvary against Vancouver. The final score was 3-1 for Calvary. Goal scored from uh, Sean Hundell in the fourth minute for Vancouver. Two goals from Meyer Bevan for Calvary. The first one in the 10th minute, the second one in the 21st minute. And then Cavalry's win was capped off by Camargo's goal in the 28th minute. Now for this one, uh, we can all say that Vancouver started pretty well. A lot of high pressure that led to the mistake for the goal from Sean Hundell. But things started to start to unravel rather quickly. Mike, what were your thoughts on how this game sort of opened up in the first 30 minutes? Yeah, it was sort of two, trading two mistakes, wasn't it, for the first two goals to um, get them back in. I mean, Hundle capitalising on a bit of slow build-up play, very, very deep in uh, Cavalry's own box. And then like, the, the mistake, I believe, was Bacare, uh, or was it Martinez? I'll have to correct me now. Um, uh, Martinez. It was Martinez, is it? Yeah, a bit of a bundle there, leaving Maya Bevan there to run through and um, to capitalise uh, from that. And it, it continued, sadly, for Vancouver, whereas I think Cavalry, after sort of losing points from leading positions, after going down uh, in this one, they really sort of rallied quite well and got themselves organised. Yeah, and I mean, for Vancouver, I think maybe we should get used to how Afshin likes to play some players just completely out of position. But still, it's surprising when you see a center back being placed into midfield. Uh, Reese, we saw Rocco Romeo being played in center mid. Please, can you enlighten us on why such a choice would be made from Afshin? Well, it was a really interesting tactical decision. And I think what Vancouver have really been missing so far this season, and I think they recognize this themselves, is a player who can kind of get on the ball, dictate the tempo of the match, control the match a bit more, settle it down a bit more. The intention probably at the start of the season without that player was to have Caden Chun play that sort of role, but obviously since then he's gone out injured. So I think they're still looking for who in their squad is going to be able to help us dictate possession and keep the ball. 
playing Rocco Romeo in there is interesting in the sense that he can spray one passes and be uh, decent in progressing the player. But the disadvantages of it were seen really on all three goals. So if Rocco Romeo is the center back in the system out of possession, he was the center back in the system in possession for large faces, especially in their buildup, but then was playing defense midfield out of possession. So if he was in that back three out of possession, like he ended up doing the second half, when Martinez then bundles into Meyer Bevan, you have someone else there to clean up that mess right after. Or sorry, when Mar- when Martinez bundles into Ali Muse and then the ball slips into Meyer Bevan, he's completely unmarked. He's alone. Rocco Romeo can be there to sweep up the mess. On the second goal, uh, let's maybe go to the third goal because it's the one I remember more clearly. Crawford is narrowing with the play, narrowing with Ali Muse. As the ball then moves its way out wide to Roberto Alarcon, as he can exploit that space through the right wing that's been vacated by Crawford. Now Crawford now has to go, and it's just a, a calamity of players now having to adjust their position for one another. So you, if you have Romeo in that central position, again, there's someone more clearly defined who can pick up Meyer Bevan, who can match his physicality and stop those kind of chances from ending up in goals. But without that central figure at the back, it ends up just being a mess, honestly, on all three goals that end up happening. Um, The second one, what ends up happening too, is that Martinez at the last moment makes an adjustment to stop Ntengi from being able to dribble, leaving Meyer Bevan again completely unmarked. If you have Romeo in, Martinez can just stay on Bevan in that situation and it it completely changes. So it didn't work out. I don't personally want to see it again. I I do hope they find a solution. They did better in the second half once introducing Nima. So I definitely think that remains a priority moving forward for them. Yeah. And actually that was something that afterwards in the post-match presser, he was asked about with Rocco Romeo, why he was playing out of position and Afshin has spoken about it before, but he mentioned again in this press conference that they were looking for six. They had a six all lined up in that position and then things fell through. And that is clearly a gaping hole for them. A player that can do, like you said, you know, control possession, dictate that pace setter. And so he's been trying to put, you know, uh, square pegs in round holes for the entire season. I still think that there probably are players maybe better suited. I can sort of see the idea of Rocco Romeo. Like you said, he's pretty decent in possession and out of possession. If he steps up, he can be a bit of a destroyer. He has good uh, defensive awareness, but I agree in that if he was in his proper position in that back three, a lot of what went wrong could have been avoided. But then in the second half, they went to that back three and they shut up shop. Mike, what I'm curious about you is that uh, or for you rather, is did you think it was mostly Vancouver FC being much more defensively solid? Or was it that Cavalry sort of took the pedal off the gas and sort of were happy with the 3-1 result? I think that's what Cavalry have sort of done, which has cost them at times, hasn't it? They don't, when they've got the lead, they're not going out and chasing more and more goals and creating a bigger barrier. They're trying to manage the games. And I think they did that. Went quite well, um, but again, against a 
sort of a poorer Vancouver side. I mean, you saw um, when the substitutions happened with Hundle and um, Sandoval coming off, they looked furious, like frustrated, annoyed a bit. Like, and it seemed just not just so much about being subbed. I think it was just about the performance of the team. Like things just weren't weren't connecting, weren't clicking. Um, Tahid had a good start, but you're so much of the good things is coming through a 16 year old. And I think that's some of the biggest problems for Vancouver here. They've got, <laughs> if they're an expansion team, this is a whole new team all get thrown together. They started off trying to be a defensive unit and try and work their way out uh, and try and adapt the game all round. And it, more that's where all these holes seem to be forming. Obviously there's some of the injuries like Chung as, as um Reese mentioned has really, really caused a problem there. But I think we're, we're seeing bigger gaps now. And I mean, I have to um, ask you too if uh, you've heard anything else. Obviously, with me down here in Peru, uh, not as well involved in um, why there were only four outfield players on the bench. I'm not sure if it's just, I mean, he's bringing on James Cameron, another young player. I mean, it's great to bring these young players through, but I think. Is, are there now questions about, okay, we we brought these players in at the beginning of the year for this new team, and then is he now seeing, well, X amount of players just aren't good enough for us and we need to start replacing them or we need to get rid of them and move on soon? I mean, I'm interested to hear both your thoughts on that. Uh, I know for, for me, I think it's, it is a case where, I mean, there was a player that they loaned in Vancouver uh, from Mexico I think his name was Christian Moraes, Morales, uh, and he it didn't work out. And then the loan was cut short and they never mentioned anything about it. Um, and I think that his position was taken by uh, TJ. But I feel like it is a case where maybe there are some players that he just doesn't think are good enough. This is sort of an issue with the young squad. Uh, Reese, this is something I actually wanted to ask you, you know, Afshin mentions about this is all great experience for these young professionals. A lot of these players are in their first years. And so it almost feels like he's excusing them a bit because they haven't been in this situation. It's a very, very young squad, so it's to be expected. But do you think that falls more than on Afshin and and the higher-ups of the team for creating a squad that might be too young, too inexperienced? And then having a manager like Afshin say, oh, but we're going to be in the playoffs and setting expectations too high. Do you think some of that maybe is playing into Vancouver's performances? I think it's overarchingly very difficult to create a team from scratch. Um, and I think in the Canadian Premier League, when you're trying to do that, it's even more difficult because you're needing to rely on under 21 players to fill certain league requirements. Um, and overarchingly, I don't think that a lot of their young players have been the issue. I think Crawford has been pretty good at left back, and I think Tahid has been one of their better players, like Mike mentioned. And I agree with Mike. I think the fact that one of your best players is a 16-year-old is problematic. I don't think any other team in the league would even be playing a 16-year-old that much. And as brilliant as Tahid has been, I don't think you you would see Forge coming and just putting a 16-year-old in there. Um, on top of that, I think what has been more difficult for Vancouver and where the manager has maybe gone wrong a bit has been the inability to play players in roles that actually suit their strengths. 
Um, so I think Elliot Simmons was one of the best defensive midfielders as a six last season playing him as more of a natural six who can kind of just screen what's happening behind and play that more defensive role would go a long way. I think playing Gabriel Batar beside him, especially in this match, needing someone to get on the ball a bit more and drive forward would have been a better decision than TJ Tahid. I think they could have switched roles and it would have been much better, especially just with the way Batar can get on the ball and drive it forward. It's a quality that you'd want to have deeper on the field. And I'd rather have Tahid's quality higher up the field. And the same thing, we already talked about Rocco Romeo playing him out of position. I think there's a lot of players that I think are not being played to their strengths right now when that is really the key of how to put together a successful football team. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I think everyone has been noticing. You don't have to be, you know, a football analyst expert such as yourself to kind of mm-hmm. see that uh, yeah. where you start to see players like Ibrahim Bakari being thrown up front. In this case, we saw Rocco Romeo at center mid. Even at the beginning of the season when we saw Caden Chung being put in the midfield, that kind of raised some eyebrows. And I think, again, it's one of those things where he keeps saying that, you know, they're missing that six. They could have had that player. Fair enough. you got to try to find a way to make up for it. But I do agree that maybe the decisions he's made with the players haven't been the greatest. And it's kind of paved the way for some of these defeats. Um, whether he will be able to figure out between now and when the summer window opens remains to be seen. For now, they are rock bottom. And the top three are starting to get away with it. They're starting to run away with, with the points. And for them, it's about all getting into the playoff spots, any playoff spots, obviously, but it's going to be even tough now if they keep having performances like this to, to have a a chance of getting into the fourth and fifth positions, because other teams are going to in the same sort of way, have opportunities to build and improve. So it'll be interesting to see how Vancouver go on, but maybe we should switch now to how well Cavalry played in, especially in that first uh, half an hour, like Mike said, responding to that goal. I mean, uh, we, Meyer Bevan, Mike, this has been a player that you've been talking about for a few weeks now. I think it's the one striker that is actually shining uh, in the CPL. Other strikers have been struggling for the most part. What did you make about his performance today? His two goals and his assist. Yeah, we said, didn't we, last week um, that he's a player that Cavalry are sometimes just struggling to really get in the game in a possession side. He works so hard off the ball. And he does a lot for his team without the ball, um, but they managed to get get him very much involved in this. And this is this is what you get. He's a confident striker who can finish. And a lot of it, I, I think, comes down to the fact that we're seeing that they've got um, the extra sort of different approaches in attack, bringing in in, in Tigne um, with a lot of speed, was able to cut inside, may not be um, may not be the finished article when it comes to his sort of final ball. Um, it can be a little bit too fast for his own mind, maybe with, uh, with trying to get the ball off afterwards. But um, they definitely show a little bit more of a flexibility in a different way that they can they can attack sides. And, they, and it made it difficult. But again, I... I don't want to get overly excited about them because of how poorly Vancouver were, were especially in that first half defensively. But they, they they did show a little, 
um, a good mix of attacks. I mean, Alakon was good. Um, we've mentioned uh, how we liked Frazier and Ed and um, Escalante as wing backs before providing that wing, but Alakon and Candine now on these back from injury um, were providing a really good sort of overlapping runs as well, which helped give Moussi and Tigne and um, Cantar when he came on a bit of move. License to roam around the pitch a bit more, and that their wingers weren't getting isolated, which was um, which worked quite well. But yeah, like I say, it's hard to really get too excited about it because they were controlling the game. They slowed down throughout that second half. They were able to just manage it, and it'll be interesting to see how they progress in the next game. Yeah, um, that is something that was you know for the neutrals. Obviously, you, you had a, such an exciting first half, and for the second half to kind of play out the way it did, where it felt like. You know, Cavalry really didn't want to go in and risk getting it, but instead they invited pressure on at times. They maintained some control, but didn't feel like they did too much with it attacking. Reese, uh, this opened up the opportunity for Vancouver actually to get some chances. Quack hit the post. There was a penalty call. Did you think that it would have been a soft penalty? Do you think it should have been called a penalty? And if it was a penalty and they would have scored it, would have Vancouver been able to get back in it? And would that have been Cavalry's fault? I think the thing for Vancouver is finding ways to create chances that are just not coming on the break and on counterattacks and relying on decisions of a referee to, to get a goal. And if they can get more players in their team that are better on the ball and better at progressing the play, I think that will help a lot. Um, Ironically, I think the other team in the league that does need someone like that is Cavalry themselves, but they were able to do some really nice chance creation through their own tactical implications of what they were trying to conjure up. Um, and so it you often don't just need good players, but good psychology, good tactics, good positive social cultures of the team can often still win you matches and i think if vancouver can continue to have the right belief systems and continue to have the right attitudes about their chances and really buy into the projects they will have a good chance of doing better this season but for now it is it is definitely looking bleak for them and i think calvary like mike said we're far and away the better team and didn't need to step on the gas in the second half yeah that is true i think when you 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 are facing a team and you don't really feel threatened by them. <laughs> you don't really have to go outside of uh, second gear. Um, but there were chances for Vancouver, maybe just a couple. But it definitely felt like the game was over at the end of the first half. Second half was sort of just playing it out for the ninety minutes. Um, but uh, one thing that uh, you mentioned is, you know, it's a mentality thing. And I think one of the biggest parts is if one player isn't having a best the best game, seeing other players sort of stepping up in the way that we saw. Like Ali Musi had a bit of a quiet game. We know that he can be uh, Cavalry's most dangerous player, really. He can be the one that can change the game almost single-handedly. He had a bit of a quiet game, and then we saw... Sergio Camargo and Antigny step up and be those kind of players that become those electric um, players that can change the game in the same sort of way. So I think that's something that Cavalry will be happy to see. And it's something that I haven't seen from Vancouver really 
at all this season. Somebody who's really stepped up, taken the game by the scruff of the neck and said, I got this. You guys don't worry. It's still something that I think has been lacking from Vancouver FC. But looking forward, I mean, Vancouver FC are now bottom of the table with seven points, only one win in nine matches. Cavalry, meanwhile, are closing the gap on that top three. Mike, what do you think both teams can learn from this game? Do you think Cavalry will be able to go in a bit of a charge and catch up to the likes of Forge and York and Pacific? Or are they sort of still destined to be behind uh, those front three because of how good they are? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Forge and Pacific are sort of setting their stall down as the top two, aren't they, at the moment? And it's for the rest to start trying to catch up. Um, Cavalry, I mean, like you say, I mean, you mentioned there, Vancouver, just the one win. This was only Cavalry second. So it's not like they're um, sort of setting the league alight and forcing their way up. I mean, it's been a lot of draws. Um, and this game against Halifax next week is going to be a big, a big, a sort of a, a big tale for where both those sides um seasons are going i think um we've we've got a sort of a, a pack really i think the two the, the two top four side the top four and the bottom four seem to try to be um creating a little bit of a gap and if cavalry can win and put that gap like a more much more comfortable we'll see something from them but i'm not sure how they're going to um how they're going to organize themselves against a much better attacking side um so it's going to be interesting to see if they can, I mean, like we just mentioned, sort of the positive mindset of games, if Cavalry can maintain leads going forward and if they can start building upon this, um, then they can yeah, be a very dangerous side again, I think. But we, we'll still have to see how they deal with more of a, more challenges, I think, in the defensive side. But yeah, Vancouver, like I say, it's looking bleak, isn't it? I think we've all, all said that now already in this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what they can do. Maybe, Reese, you can enlighten us. If you were coach for a day, what would you do to try to help this team out, get their first win after seven winless games? Uh, for Vancouver, it's at this point, it's less about tactical decision-making, less about what they're actually doing on the training pitch, and more about continuing to have the right positive psychology, continuing to have the right environments in the dressing room and in the training grounds. Because if that goes wrong, then there's no chance of coming back. If they can get the psychology and the social sides of the game down and and continue that belief, then they can do better. But right now, like the tactical decision-making is difficult from the players that they have. And I think it needs to adjust based on their opposition. They they didn't adjust well in this match until the second half when they made that change. And I think we saw them do better because of that change. And they need to do it from the start, from their next match. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things for Vancouver where you have to have some sort of, not, not only just like, like you said, consistency with tactics is one thing and everything, but some mental consistency Ashton mentioned that they don't think about the streak of winless games. They just think about the next game and the next game and the next game. And I think that's the right approach to it. But I also feel like you got to acknowledge to a certain point, you guys haven't been performing well and you need to work towards getting better in small ways. You don't have to think like we, you know, you got to have a huge leap to being the best team. 
there are small ways that you can sort of improve mentally and tactically that can help you get on that way. Mike, do you have any thoughts on this as well? Yeah, I just wanted to sort of like last bit about Vancouver. Um, I remember watching along one soccer, the, like one of the commentators, I forget who was um, doing the game, mentioned he got asked what their relationship was with the Whitecaps. We've seen so many other teams around this league um, bring in young players from up from these three MLS sides who have made a big impact. Sean Ray last year, um, it, it, they have this opportunity. I'm not sure how much the uh, Hungle. Uh, comments stoking up this rivalry may have um, hindered the ability to bring in some of these players, but that's got you've got to imagine that's something they should be looking into with Vancouver uh, Whitecaps being in, in the same city. It's very easy for the for a player to be able to go out on loan to these uh, to this side. So um, be interesting to see if they what they do with that come the summer as well. Yeah, I just think they need I mean, less young players and more leadership. Like I would, I would not be looking for loans from Vancouver, Montreal, or Toronto at this point. I don't think they need any more young players. I would be looking for who can we get that's like 28, 29, 30, and can really lead this team moving forward. Yeah, that's a good point as well. I mean, we're only having, I think it's two players over the age of 25, right? Sandoval and Callum Irving you need a couple more experienced players in there, a bit more leadership because we've seen time and time again that in a span of 15, 20 minutes, they've conceded three, four goals. And that usually doesn't happen when you have calm, collected, experienced heads uh, on the pitch. And I think that's something that's lacking. So I think, yeah, maybe that should be the priority going for the more experienced players. But moving on now, from the first game, we're going to move to the second game, which is York United against Atletico Ottawa. That game finished 2-1 for York United. Ottawa started the game off very hot, scored through Noah Verhoeven in the 8th minute. Then York United got back into it in the 24th minute, thanks to an unfortunate own goal by Luke Singh. Before, in the second half, York United won it, thanks to a goal Finally, from Ozaze de Rosario, he gets uh, his first goal of the season after waiting so long for it. I mean, we've been talking about it for a while that he just hasn't looked like how he was last season. So it's finally so nice to see him get a goal and maybe get that con- consistency now to, you know, go on and, and have a similar-esque season. You can't expect him to maybe have the exact same season as last one, but have a, a, a good prolific season. But Mike, for you, what were your thoughts on this game? You know, Ottawa started, like I said, very, very hot. I felt like it was one-way traffic for the first half an hour or so, maybe 20 minutes. But then York started to grow back into the game. What were your thoughts in the first half? Yeah, I mean, they got they all got off to a great start. But, I mean, the unfortunate own goal got, got um, York back into it from the, uh, from, of the head from the cross. And we saw... I mean, for me, we saw the Ottawa again, who, when things aren't going quite right, struggle to really change things for themselves. And York were able to get a sort of a foothold on the game, um, and were able to, yeah, they were able to just get get themselves back in it and get a little bit more confidence going after obviously these changes we made. And um, Lapare looked fantastic in the middle there, yeah. sort of a composed head, um, dictating. You know, as we mentioned from uh, Vancouver, the ability to have someone who can just keep hold of the ball, move it around, 
it can be a long pass, it can be a short pass, but it's not just turning over the ball over and over again. And he really helped out. And I mean, uh, I mean, we can go into Paris G as well, obviously, as uh showing how important he can be going into the midfield as well. Um, this time and being a centre back and a full back, and they keep the York. At times, they're not the uh, the sexiest team to watch. They're, they're not creating all these fantastic um, fantastic games that you watch and just in awe of how well they're dominating a game and playing so well. But they keep on going and they, they, they made it difficult for Ottawa to get back in the game and got the goal that I, I felt they deserved. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things for York, at least from what I saw, was Ottawa at the start were getting so much space on the wings. They were overloading the wings really easy. It felt like York's defense was a bit too narrow. That's how Noverhoven had that early chance where he hit the post. And then later it was, I forget who made the run that opened up space for Verhoven to cut in and then have the goal. Felt like they were overloading that space. York sort of figured that out and then adjusted themselves and then closed that down. And that's, I think, the base that allowed them to grow back into the game. But Reese, for you, I mean, York, we've seen, like Mike said, that they, they don't necessarily have the most aesthetically pleasing uh, games, but they still manage to churn out results. For you, what does that come down to? And in this game, who were who, who the players, who were the actors that allowed them to turn it around and get the win? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Atletico were probably the better team in this match, and certainly they had the better chances to win the match. Uh, so it's impressive that they continue to grind out results and that they have four wins in their last five or whatever it is. That's very impressive for a team that I don't think looked all that impressive in their first couple of matches. Um, so what it comes down to in particular is some of the things that we were talking about with Vancouver uh, most importantly, getting the balance of the team correct, playing players in the roles that suit their strengths. And those can be adjusted based on the match if needed. We've seen Usama Owu play in like central midfield. We've seen Brem Sumaru play in central midfield as well. And then this game, it was Paris G and Jeremy Gagnon Lapare. It was completely different. Um, and I, I think Martin Nash has actually done a great job fitting the players that they've recruited into a succinct system that gets the best out of the players and isn't drastically different from what they were trying to do last season, just with less of those moving parts in place. Um, I do think Paris G was excellent again, like Mike said. Uh, Jeremy Gagnon-Lapere obviously impressed me. I just think he's someone that can split any kind of defense any way you want it. His forward passing is excellent. His lawn passing, diagonal passing is all fantastic. But he, last season for Halifax, he was also one of their top creators. So getting a player who can do that from deep is super important to a team's success and the ability to engage a player like Osaze Di Rosario, who, for what it's worth, like when chances are coming closer to him, like in terms of the proximity, he struggles to stay on side and like time his runs effectively if chances are maybe coming more so from the wings like absi last season or from a player like gagnon lapare who can float one over the top i think that will be an effective approach to uh engage him in matches um 
So uh, overarching, I don't think they were the better team, but I think they found a way to win through having players step up to the plate. And, and that's sometimes all it takes. Yeah. And I think that's something that was lacking from Ottawa a bit. I mean, you did see Ollie Bassett. He's incredible no matter really where he plays. He had another game where I think he wasn't as uh, involved in the second half, maybe as he was in the first half, but he did hit the post twice. Both teams hit the post quite a few times. It could have been a much more high scoring game, but Mike, for you, what was lacking from Ottawa in in this game that allowed York to kind of come back in, get the win when they were the better team? They had the possession, they had the control, they had the chances, but they came away with nothing. What are your thoughts? I mean, how, how often do we sort of comment on if plan A is not working, what happens to plan B um, with Ottawa? And plan A was working for the start, like as it went, like you were saying, building up this play out wide, but... Um, York organized themselves. York reacted well um, to learn, to seeing where the threat was a little late. Obviously, as the goal went in, and um, but they they adapted to it in the in game, and they they ensured that they were able to not just adapt to what Ottawa were doing, but to keep their game plan as well. Um, whereas Ottawa, as as things weren't as they weren't able to cause. Um, as much of a difficulty in possession. They weren't able to counter-attack as much on York um, as maybe they would have liked to. Um, and then it it continues to be that issue, I think, for um, Ottawa, where there's this huge gap between the uh, defence and the attack and the midfield aren't able to get forward and then get back and get forward and then get back, depending on what what's going on with the ball. And it isolates players and it gives York the opportunity to at times get on the ball and calm things down and get their game going again. And it's it slows anything that Ottawa Ottawa would do. Uh, I think we just see that a little bit too often from them. Yeah, and I mean now for them, right, they're 10 points off first, uh they're second last, and they uh, for me the word that keeps coming back is consistency. It, we talk about it all the time where it's like, which Ottawa is going to show up today? Usually it's a different Ottawa, like from the one that came to Vancouver to the one that we saw even today in the second half or some other times this season where it's just, we don't know which one is going to show up in terms of the way that they play, the way that they attack, even the way that they press and counterattack. It, it, there's so much discrepancy within themselves, within their performances that I think is hurting them a lot but it's you know it's it's only 10 games i mean for some teams nine games in for some teams 10 games in there's still time for them to to adjust and try to find that consistency but being 10 points off already at first as the former regular season champs is rough uh but i guess now go, look looking forward I, I talk about it there ottawa uh, Reese, for you, I mean, at this at this pace, they're going to miss the playoffs. What do you think needs to happen for them to try to go on a bit of a run like York is going on, winning four of the last five and getting back into that conversation, showing the form that they showed last season as regular season champs? Well, I think that we have to remember last season, they grinded out a lot of results through a really experienced core of players and leaders in the team some of whom are no longer there some of whom like Nathan Inham 
like Carl Hayworth are not currently in the squad for different reasons. Nathan in, in particular has been a big loss in goal because I'm of the belief that he's one of the best two goalkeepers in the league, um, particularly when it comes to his decision-making and his shot-stopping. And I also think he's quite a good leader at the back for them as well. But I, I do still think they have one of the stronger sides in the league. So if you have one of the best center backs in Diego Espeo and one of the best players overall in Ali Bassett, and you're then finding ways to sort of move the pieces around them in the right ways, I don't think they're going to be too far off. But I do sometimes wonder where the goals come from, particularly when last season so heavily reliant on counterattacking transitions and Baloo Tabla was so critical to those moments. This season, I don't think Samuel Salter is like a player that necessarily fits their system and fits the counterattacking style that they want. He might be interesting to bring on in different games and different moments where you need a player who can provide that like dynamic dribbling, the carrying, the vision awareness of space. He's he's great in all of those categories, but he's not like that cut above of like taking players on and taking the game by the scruff of the neck like a blue tablet obviously would be. So I think they definitely have a shot of reaching the playoffs. And I think in this match, really, they they got unlucky with some of those chances that hit the post. I, I, I often tell players when I'm coaching, like the best shots are the ones that hit the post. So it wasn't like poor finishing. It wasn't like down to a poor conversion of what they could have converted it. Like they had great chances. They nearly scored those chances. They probably should have won the match. They probably will win a lot of matches this season. And I think they'll be all right. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you ha- have a shot hit the post, it just means that it was just half of an, an inch off of being that perfect corner shot. So mm-hmm. that is a nice way of looking at things like that. Um, but yeah, Ottawa hopefully can uh, get a bit better luck in those situations and and to turn the game around and get some wins. But looking at York, you know, it, I don't know if we put it down to luck or or if we put it down to just being able to take advantage of the right opportunities. But they keep winning in games that we don't think they're going to win, and now they're looking like a top three side in this league, Mike. Do you think that they can continue this? Is this sustainable, the way that they're playing long into the season? Or do you think that eventually things are going to level out? I mean, you never know in the CPL, but York right now look like the team to beat. And I think with getting players players back fit, they had a really difficult like opening few, so opening month or so with the number of players going down injured. They're now able to make these replacements, obviously, with the players missing I mean, personal beliefs about not wanting to wear the pride shirt. You lose, uh, Babuli wasn't used. Um, and other players step up and and, and they seem to be really um, thriving off this sort of underdog status or this <laughs> difficulties going on around them, obviously, with the ownership issues. Um, the injury issues, the constant rotation, players being asked to do something, but they seem to have this fantastic belief and they've just been knocking off unbeaten runs of teams at the beginning of the season, now on a five-game unbeaten run themselves. Without without dominating games, they seem to be able to be quite comfortable going, okay, well, this is what we're going, this is how we want to play. 
we'll adapt to how the other team is coming at us um, at the beginning of the game. We'll see what they're doing and then we'll try and work our way in and we'll try and win this game. And they, they don't stop. We've seen it with late winners. Um, there's a great belief amongst this team and um, they've got the ability to know that if players are going to come in and replace some of the starters or some players who you might think would be a starter more frequently, you know that the level isn't dropping off dramatically. They're, they're, they're giving the same commitment as the other players, but they're also bringing the same sort of talent level as well. Yeah, and I think it's the fact that was surprising for me is exactly that there were so many players that weren't available today because they chose not to wear the pride shirt and credit to York they allow, they kind of balance that line of respecting religious beliefs and maintaining their own beliefs of saying, it's if you don't want to wear it, that's fine. You just won't play. And even with those players like Moba Bully, Usama Alu, Sumaru, these players that have stepped up for York in these last few weeks, still they have more players, the players that did play, that stepped up and had those moments. So it shows that for, for York, they may have more quality than maybe some people kind of gave them the credit at the beginning of the season and we never know we'll maybe we'll see them um you know come the come the final of the north star shield maybe they'll they'll keep going the way they're going keep grinding our results and, and find themselves in that final there but it's uh it's gonna be interesting to see how they continue going on but moving on into our third game we have uh halifax against valor this one finished 2-0 in favor of Halifax with the league's first brace by a player in Callum Watson. He scored in both halves, one in the in the ninth minute and his second in the 52nd minute. And boys, Halifax Wanderers has finally won a game. We are all so happy to see one of the teams that has probably one of the most interesting styles of play, like when we talked with Patrice, Mike, we said, you know, it's it's very entertaining. It's very fluid. It's sort of a breath of, breath of fresh air at times uh, compared to some of the other playing styles that we've seen in the teams. But they just haven't been getting those results. And finally, they had this victory against Valor that I think was a comprehensive victory overall. Even though it was 2-0, I think it was Halifax game pretty much throughout the whole the whole time. Reese, for you, what did you think about Halifax? I mean, finally, it felt like they all got together and were one mind, one unit to win this match. Yeah, I think the thing for Halifax ever since Joao Morelli tore his ACL has been we're able to keep good possession. We're able to generate chances, but we don't really have many players able to actually put the ball into the back of the net. And if Callum Watson can start to become that player more, that would be fantastic for them because his awareness of space, his perceptions of where to move at the right time and uh, when to progressively run into the half spaces, into the wide areas to benefit the movement of those around him has been fantastic. And then you saw him popping up in the right places in the box as well, which is great for the likes of Fernandez who are constantly up the right wing creating chances. And it's great for Aiden Daniels who can break lines on the dribble and take the game all on his own and then give it to someone else at the right moment. I think a lot of the moving pieces will start to now come together and the chemistry of the team will come together when 
in the early matches of the season with a lot of new players. They're basically like a Vancouver this season. They brought in an almost entirely new team, an entirely new starting 11. Now I think you're going to start to see those pieces come together a bit more, especially when the thing that I keep on saying is happening there. Players are being played to their strengths and what actually suits them. Fernandez, Daniels, like getting more playing time this season, Daniels, Last season, he could have been someone to break games because he is that type of player. And this season, we're seeing more of it. So I'm definitely excited for Halifax the next few weeks to see what happens because I think they're great. Yeah, and I think it really comes down to some of those players that you're saying. I have been so impressed by Fernandez and Daniels. I think in this match, they the way they link up is so, so good and you're right in having a player like Callum Watson, a player that we you don't really expect maybe to have the performance that he did step up and, and score those two goals and those with those two opportunities. He even had a, a third one. He could have scored or squared across to Coimbra before his first. Uh, he, he was that kind of um, focused player that you could always get the ball to and you could sort of trust that he was going to create something, whether it be scoring a goal, creating a chance. So that focal point that I think Halifax have been uh, missing a bit, at least consistently across the 90 minutes. But for for you, Mike, I mean, Halifax now have this win. What were your thoughts on the performance afterwards? Because it wasn't just a first half blitz like we saw, like maybe with the Cavalry game. And then the second half, it kind of was, you know, kind of dry and it kind of was dead. Halifax kept going across the 90 and, and completely sort of pushed over Valor in this match. What were your thoughts on their complete performance from Halifax? Yeah, to, to hold a team, look at the stats just back now, Valor had four shots all game and not a single one on target. And you don't usually get that from a Halifax game. The ball's end-to-end. There's plenty of transitional moments. And we saw how much York took advantage of them um, in uh, at Halifax uh, earlier in the season. But they kept hold of play. Um, they've got um, obviously Caligari back um, in the in the centre midfield there. And I thought it was good having him alongside um, Mohamed Omar. Gave the gave the fullbacks the chance to get forwards. I mean, Jake uh, Ruby playing the ball, switching it across to Fernandez at one point, all in the opposition's half for um, for a chance, kind of wasted by Fernandez in the end. The shot from a well wide, but it just showed how far they could get forward and how the midfield were a little bit more um, structured, a little bit more organised, uh, along with the defence and that that three behind Coimbra uh, that we're mentioning. They, they it isn't just two wingers and a 10. It's three players who will switch and rotate. They can get in completely different places. And Valor really, really struggled. They couldn't, they didn't know how to organise themselves um, basing on what this Halifax team were doing. And they just defensively, if if they, they were able to get pulled out, if they were able to create a little bit of space, you saw Halifax taking control of it. And that forced the Valor defence, the central midfielders, into being quite deep, um, isolating the attacking players, uh, which just, for the first time, I think, uh, I mean, I don't know what you guys think, but I think for the first time we saw Halifax actually control a game um, for pretty much 90 minutes. Yeah, I mean, 
for me, one of the biggest things is the way that Halifax nullified the dangers from players like Keon Williams and Pacific Nyongabire, because those are two players that are very tricky to mark, close down, make sure that they don't get away from you. Those are the danger men for Valor. And we have seen Nyongabire on his day is up there in the likes of Ali Musi and Amon Salouf as game changers on the wing. But today, or, or rather on that day, in, in, in that game, they were ghosts, really. Like you said, they, they don't, didn't really create those chances. Four shots, zero on target. You don't really see that from Valor. And I'm curious, Reese, what do you think that came down to? How did Halifax nullify Valor's attack so that they basically had no real chances and allowed Halifax to dominate the entire game? Well, their counterpress, once they lost the ball in attacking phases in Valor's half, was excellent. So Valor rarely had the opportunity to go on the counterattack and use the speed of a player like those winners that they have that you mentioned, who are extremely fantastic on the break in particular. They didn't have the opportunity to do that because uh, Halifax were constantly able to win back the ball. And, and Mike touched on it as well, just with the rest defense that they had um, by having Omar as that sort of anchor in front of their back three that was building out from the back. And then you had Caligari, who's their deep line playmaker and very efficient on the ball, but he's doing it from areas that are deeper on the field and not too advanced. Then the energy of players like Daniels and Watson and and Farron then comes into effect on the counter press. So it was it was very efficient from them. Um, and from Valor's perspective, you will hope that they somehow find a way to bring in someone that can be more creative and can uh, influence the game with either sort of long passes or forward passes in the final third um, or a Sean Rea type of figure that can actually create something out of nothing and can visualize where the spaces are on the field a bit better because they don't have that type of player that they lost. And I think that's a big missing piece of the puzzle in their quest for goals right now. Yeah, they sort of have relied on creativity, I think, coming more from the wing. And that's one player that I think uh, Valor were missing a lot of. is a player like Matteo de Brienne was benched uh, for that game, I think, just managing minutes because he's played so much for such a young player for them. And he is sort of that player, that creative spark, where he can run down that wing, sort of help create those overloads and create those chances. They were lacking that today. And it showed how important he really is for that team. We, we've seen that he's a good player and he had that beautiful goal last week, but it's not really until you see a player not show up. Do you realize how important they are? But for you, Mike, I know that you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Valor's sort of the way that they set up. What do you think for them moving forward is the best way for them to try to go back into the mold of, attacking more, threatening more, and allowing themselves to be dominated like they were this game? Well, I think, I mean, obviously, I'd said before, I wanted to play like a 4-2-3-1. Um, but when you leave about Matteo de Brienne, Kim Williams wants to cut inside. He wants to get on his right foot and he wants to, like, and that's how he wants to play. And when you haven't got an overlapping fullback, Halifax know, well, the ball's going to be in the, the danger areas are now just central and on the other wing. So Fernandez is able to get up and down the pitch as much as he wants, knowing that Kim Williams is going to cut inside. I've got central midfielders dropping deep to help me there. I've got Dynamic, who's playing very well. 
who can engage um, Keegan Williams. So it, it, by not having Debrienne and not having a wide player who can go both ways, wide and cut inside, it limited what Valor could do, and it made it a lot. It made it very comfortable for Halifax, knowing that part of their attack was wasn't there. Um, so Valor really need for me. They need, just need. They've got a guy. I think Anthony Novak, Siaj, they, they they've got strikers who could finish if they were creating chances on a more regular basis and from different areas. I think we're finding too often that Valor. They're relying on very similar attacks week in, week out, and um, teams are comfortable and organised in dealing with it. Yeah, I think it, it. For me, I would like to see Valor in in a similar way try something new. I think they have, like you said, these players Anthony Novak and Siage, that when you give them chances, they will finish. They have been proven that they can score goals. They just need to get better service. And I think there has to be a change in the way that Phil Santos sets up his team, not just in, in the actual positions, but in the way that they interact with each other, the little plays that they do to create more chances, allow players to come into the game more, not rely so much on maybe the individuals like Debrian, because when you don't play Debrian, you don't really do much, like in this game. And so I think that moving forward, they have to try to bring some fresh energy some fresh you know plays even just just something new uh to to um create better chances for them but uh reese i know i there was a player that you wanted to talk about that i think deserves all the credits and the plot at this beginning that's dan nimick for halifax he's been so solid at the back he's come in from being a college player and Patrice Geiser mentioned this in our interview that, you know, some people said he wasn't going to be able to cut it. He thinks he's been fantastic. One of the best center backs in the league this season. What do you think about his performance and his overall season that he's had so far for Halifax? Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. I think he's been awesome. He's just a very robust physical defender, but to excel in that kind of mold, you also need to be able to time your challenges extremely well and that is something that he seems to have a keen understanding of when to dive in, when to use his body, when to make that killer tackle at the right moment. He's also outstanding in possession, though. And Halifax are a team that want the ball, clearly. They want to dictate possession. They want to dominate with that back three build that they have and push Fernandez further forward. So if you can get him in the right half spaces, carrying the ball forward or seeing the spaces to get his head up and pick out a lawn pass or a switch of play, it's an amazing player to have in that team that is really going to benefit them as the season unfolds. And to also just be another young center back in that team, like Kale Loffrey is the same, Christian Campania they can play in there. It's an exciting thing for Halifax to have so many of those young players doing so well. Their entire back line, like Fernandez, is still very young. Uh, Jake Ruby is still very young as well. It's impressive to me that they all look like leaders and that they've been able to stay so organized at the back when they still do have such a young defense. I think sometimes we're seeing it. The game against Atletico, they weren't quite as strong, but in the match against Valor, they were 
all outstanding. And Nimic was just the cream of the crop for me there. Yeah. Having players like that, that you can rely on young players. I mean, that, that's something I think Vancouver are, are missing a little bit is you can have young players, but young players that have the sort of mentality of experienced players, it's players that are very disciplined, that understand their role, knowing what's going on. Part of it is playing players in their correct role, their comfortable role, like you have mentioned, Reese. But I think Dan Nimick is a great example of that. As a young player, got drafted for uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps. They really didn't see a future for him, so they allowed him to leave to go to Halifax, and he's he's been incredible for them. And he's probably been their unsung hero uh, for a lot of uh, the games. And now that they finally have that first win, we'll see if the fortunes will change now for Halifax because they have been playing really, really good football. They have just been unlucky. And Patrice in our interview has said, when we finally get that win, when we finally have that moment, that change, things will turn around and you'll get to see the Halifax that I know that we are. And I think that I'm super excited to see now with this win, what kind of Halifax we're going to see, but it's all going to come down, I think, to consistency. It's great to have a win, but now it's more important to build on it, to continue, because one win is not going to win you a championship. It has to be consistent wins and performances. And next week, they're facing Calvary at home, I think. Another home game, it's a perfect opportunity to get back-to-back wins and start to present the precedence of the kind of team that you are and, and climb that table. But moving on now to our final game, which was on paper the biggest game, of the weekend but in reality maybe one of the most boring games of the weekend you could obviously flip the script and be like it was a a tactical slog it was you know a chess match but i mean even even i think for for you reese you could see that it was just both teams really didn't want to risk anything against their huge rival and it was very much a tentative match up until the very end um mike i I, i'm curious about you for the way that Pacific started, they were probably the team that, as much as Forge are the champs, they are the best team of the CPL and have been the best team in the CPL for basically the last five years. Pacific felt like they were the favorites going into this because of the form that they've been in and because of how sort of lukewarm Forge have been in the attacking third. Did you think that this was the case again in the opening moments in the first half of this match? Yeah, I think we've sort of seen from Pacific how dangerous they can be going forward. We know they want to play their own game. Um, But I think they organized themselves really well in this one to sort of take take any sting that um, Forge may have tried to get, like tried to have in the opening parts of this game. I mean, Forge are the home team, defending champs they need, and the Pacific are the big challengers in this. And I think Pacific took a big step in saying, we've got the depth that you have now. Um, we, we can, we're not just going to go all out attack. We can change how we play slightly um, and we can control the game. And as, as much as um, Forge started off quite well, I think Pacific just managed how, how things were done. Um, I really was impressed by our Legioness playing a sort of left back, left centre back, depending on whether they were in or out of possession. Um, and 
<laughs> and no point did I find, I mean, Pacific, we've seen they can just go out and attack you, and they've got so much flair and excitement. Adonijah Reed is such great pace. So Luke, when he comes on, we will come to, but they can just attack and they can force teams back. And in this one, they just controlled it and they were a little bit more managed and they were aware that Forge have, have a threat. But I don't think they really fully felt that they weren't in control of the game throughout and they knew that the chances were coming. And we saw that in the second half was, uh, I think the the goal was the 13th shot of that half. It wasn't just throughout the game. The second half, they just said, right, we're in it. We know now we're in control. We're going to now show Forge that this is our season, I think. And they're, they're seeing themselves as real sort of champions. Yeah, I mean, it, that's an incredible stat in and of itself, going to Tim Horns Field and having 13 shots in one half after having only three shots in the first half. And it almost felt like Pacific were, were biding their time, sort of allowing Forge to get comfortable and then striking because they sort of, I think, maybe sense that Forge haven't been at 100% firing in all cylinders in the attack. So just making sure that they remain strong enough where they can sort of bounce away those chances and then grow into it themselves in the second half and go and threaten the goal. For you, Reese, what I think I'm curious to see for you, what has been going on for Forge in their attack this season? Because like I mentioned at the beginning, it's been rather lukewarm. They're still, you know, grinding out results and getting those wins, but they're not blowing out teams in the same way that other teams like, you know, Ottawa and Pacific have been blowing out teams. What do you think is the root of that problem for Forge? Yes, it's a difficult question to answer because they have all the pieces in place to perform well in attack, but the clinical edge to their play doesn't seem to be quite there. And I think even last season when they weren't quite as strong at the start of the season and ended up going on a really impressive win streak, even in the phases where they were not so impressive, they still had the right chances being created and goal scorers finishing off those chances too. So I don't necessarily know what has gone wrong. The mental toll of trying to be the best team in the CPL again could play into it, but I don't think it should. They should have the mentality of the professional footballers to continue pushing uh, to the highest level that they can. Um, but I just think oh, across the board, we're seeing players not quite at the level that they showed last season. I don't think Hajabrapur has been to the same like best defensive midfielder in the league standard that he showed last season. Uh, Tristan Borges has been fairly anonymous. Ruben Spasius hasn't quite been scoring uh, or being able to kind of generate the same amount of chances for himself. Although I think he is a player that just kind of thrives off of like the very basic kind of goals and he's not ever going to be one that like really sets the world alight with goal scoring um, from difficult positions or difficult angles. I would love to see David Schwanier get more playing time. I think Forge have kind of been afforded the ability to rotate their squad a lot at the start of the season. And I just would like to see a good, a bit more consistency and, the amount of minutes that some of their better players and some of their better performance performers at the tail end of last season 
Um, I'd like to see those players getting more time on the field because I think he's a really key piece to the piece to the puzzle, especially when you talk about the combinations that he's able to form down the right side with Reza Rama, uh, the balance that that then strikes on the other side of the field which, with Ashton Morgan playing almost like a left winger at times. He didn't start this game either. Pacific have always kind of been a difficult matchup for Forge, though, so I don't necessarily want to take too many takeaways as gospel for the rest of the season. But it does kind of worry me that they're not generating the same amount of quality chances that they did last season. And I think I think some of the psychology and the social culture of the team now needs to generate that more than like tactical decision making and the technical foundations of training like we talked about with Vancouver. Yeah, because um, the, there's no doubt about it that Forge, the players that they have, they arguably have some of the best players in those positions in the league in their strongest 11. But I that is a good point that you that you mentioned about the consistency of players because I've also been noticing that Debbie Chouinier hasn't been featuring maybe as much as you would think he deserves, especially since last season and even at the beginning of the season, he was one of them, their most creative and dangerous players. Another player that I think deserves to play a bit more because he was so good at the beginning of the season, Noah Jensen. I think he's a player that, you know, if you have a player like, um, I, I, it's hard because... Pujabrapur and Jensen, they don't really they, they don't really have the same qualities as that, that as that six. You can't really play Jensen necessarily there. And you know, Abubakar Sisoko, he is uh, I think one of Fortress Moore's underrated players, though the way that he kind of roams his physicality that he has in that midfield kind of gives a different uh, dynamic to the way that Becker plays as like, sort of he does the deep line playmaking ability so so well, but he can also drive forward. It's hard for a player like Noah Jensen to get in, but I still think that he deserves to have some more opportunities and 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 try that out. But yeah, I think consistency is something that Forge need. And I've been, I mean, the, we mentioned that Paseas, the kind of putting him on the wing experiment hasn't worked out. It's hard to obviously manage three strikers, trying to play three strikers in a lineup when you also have players like Borges and, and Schwanier. But I, I I think because of last season, the way that Pasias played, you gotta try to and he's a young player, you gotta try to play him in the positions that he knows so he can grow into the game and 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 put performances and goals and like he had last season where his confidence was oozing. I haven't seen the same from him this this season. But like you said, it's always been a a tough matchup against Pacific and in the end, it was a mistake that was the difference, Mike. I, it feels like, you know, just last week or last two weeks, we've been singing Tristan Henry's praises, saying he's showing why he's one of the best keepers in the league. You know, if not the best keeper in the league, where, you know, he, he had that one game uh, where I forget who it is against now, but he had like seven saves or like the record for most saves. And then he goes around and 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 does a mistake like this and we know Tristan Henry has a mistake in him unfortunately it's something that's just part of his game and it was not not a pretty one in the 80 uh in the 85th minute and uh Gennaro Daniels you're never going to get an easier goal like that what did you make about that mistake and how it sort of deflated forward in the last few minutes 
Yeah, what was quite quite funny was it was just as uh, Becker was taken off. It was um, he was obviously the centre midfield wasn't part of this, but it was quite funny how that turns out that once Becker's off the pitch, and then all of a sudden the goal goes straight in, and it just seemed like Henry. Um, it just came out too quickly. I think there was a miss. They, there wasn't the good communication with the defender who did the right thing of trying to head it back into his goalkeeper's hands um, under pressure from uh, Daniels, who's such a, a pest with central defenders, so physical but so quick and big and can put them under so much pressure. He does the right thing, but Henry's come out so fast that he's readjusting and it's just some poor poor handling from him has cost them the game. And you saw him trying to reach out and grab Daniels as part of him kind of hope, wishes he got hold of him and maybe hope that the penalty was missed. Um, but yeah, it was just a rush of blood to the head, I think, and a miscommunication of, do I come out and get this or do I wait and receive trust my defender's going to get there? And the decision wasn't really made. I think he felt he had to get there. Then he's waiting for the header. And yeah, all unfortunately for uh, unfortunately for Borges' sake, all went very badly from there. Yeah, but I think it is a testament to the depth that Pacific have. You know, you can throw on Gennaro Daniels, who is so hardworking. You know, as much as it's a mistake, it, the mistake is caused by the pressure that Daniels is putting on by running and putting pressure on on um, Henry and his defender to get it right. And I think they panic a little bit because of that pressure and then the chance is created. And one other piece, you know, we're talking about depth. I don't think there is maybe Noah Verhoeven, which I'll talk talk about later, has a as a shout as one of the most impactful super subs. But I don't know if he can really compare to the likes of Amon Salouf as just one of the most dangerous impact super subs. Reese, for you, he's just an absolute game changer, isn't he? When he comes on, he's so so dangerous. He can turn players inside out he had that one chance where he had uh, R- uh rama's legs as pretzels basically um where it, it, i think henry f- did an incredible save at the near post what are your thoughts on him and his ability to just turn the game on his head and the fact that he's on the bench is that is that a good choice to have a player of his quality on the bench and as an impact player or would you rather see him start and ha- try to have that performance across the 90 it's worked the last two matches with having him on the bench, but I would much rather see him from the start. And I think in the matches that he has started, he's looked equally brilliant too. I just think he's very clever about when to use his right foot versus when to use his left foot when dribbling and to have that sort of variety. It is very dangerous trying to go up against him and trying to be that defender. Even if you're like a very physical defender like Reza Rama is, like he will still struggle to win a lot of those matchups because Salouf is so good in tight spaces and so clever on the ball that it's almost like you you can't get near him you can't touch him if if you do touch him you're gonna foul him he's just that kind of player and that kind of exciting player that they definitely needed to bring in to replace Marco Bustos it's been a great signing it's been excellent for them I think it's the type of signing that will take them to the top of the table this season if they continue going the way that they have been. Yeah. And and it's it's players putting on those kind of performances off the bench in the starting lineup that I think have set Pacific apart from from the other teams in the league. Even a bit forward, just 
just you never really know who's going to step up. I mean, Salouf, you kind of know he will step up just because of the quality he has. But other players keep stepping up, you know, whether it be Josh Hurd, Manny Aparicio, Adonijah Reed. I think Adonijah Reed also had a very, very good game today. Mike, I'm curious about your thoughts because we've talked about Adonijah Reed before. Maybe he, him being that sort of second striker, at times being that false nine is his best position. What did you think about his performance today against Forge and the way he just felt like he was everywhere in the pitch creating chances? Yeah, his, he, he, and his way of play seems to have um, forced Salouf out in a way, hasn't it? Because, I mean, Kule Dadaluke plays right back and right wing. He's he's up there, up and down the pitch so fast and he could manage that throughout 90 minutes and being able to get read up alongside Ongaro um, or alongside Daniels if it was him playing sort of stops isolating that striker and putting a lot of pressure on the wingers to be the goal scorers. And it's let um, Manny Aparicio come a bit deeper and conduct play from there knowing that there's someone up there alongside the striker. La Jeunesse has been used. It was fantastic going to that back three. And that just gives Reed the chance to come inside when necessary, go out wide if he can pick up the ball there. And he was picking up spots all over the pitch. And the way they were using you know, Sean Young the game before and Stefan Yates in this one as the central midfielder who would go out wide, uh, out wide right and creating these two banks of four out of possession, it just gives Reed the opportunity to sort of cause havoc um, for defenders because he's so fast. He's such a small guy. He's so fast. He's got a great turn of pace and change direction. And he he may not have got the goal today, um, but he's he's showing why he's such a sort of dangerous player. And it's making it difficult for um James uh James Merriman because if you're gonna play a winger it's Salouf or your captain Josh Hurd, isn't it? On the other side. So how do you make that decision each week? Yeah, like I said before, it's one of those, you know, it's one of the best headaches you can have as a manager when you have so much quality, able to start and on the bench trying to figure out who to play. Uh, Very difficult task, you know, not taking anything away from it. But it's one of the best, I guess, difficult challenges you can have in a team. But moving forward, I mean, for Forge, Reese, for you, you know, they don't lose often. And like you said, it's it's always a tough match. It can sort of be an exception to the rule that's kind of lost. But moving forward, what would you like to see Forge improve upon? Because Pacific are breathing down their necks. Now York United are breathing down their necks. What is it going to take for them to kind of shoulder off these challengers and, and try to continue to be that uh, best team in the league? I don't necessarily know if a change of shape or anything tactical will be necessary at this point. I think having Schwanier start from the very start of the matches will be key. Having Ashton Morgan uh, start next time will probably go a long way as well. If they wanted to experiment with a back three, they have so many different center backs who can play in that shape, and that might just ease the tension and try something new for at least one match and just see what happens. Um, Maybe it's a way to get two strikers on the field as well. If you want to go something like a three, five, two Um, and Schwanier also shown like great ability to play as a wing back in that shape too. Um, So I wouldn't mind that if, if they wanted to do that. But again, I think, I think it comes down to Bobby Smyrniotis 
getting everyone on the same page in the dressing room and really making it clear like this is who we are this is the way we want to play this is what we're striving to achieve this season let's all buy into this process together we have the ability to do it and just kind of keep those messages consistent keep the right um positive messaging moving forward and and they will find results yeah i mean forge forge will always find results the the players that they have um it's just about you know can they sort of turn the screw in the attacking uh, third and and be clinical in the way that we've seen Pacific? Because, you know, if you look at the table, you look at the goal differences, Forge have a plus two goal difference, which isn't bad, but you look at Pacific with a plus 10 goal difference, and you start to see a bit of the difference in how, you know, Pacific have 19 goals scored, nine goals conceded, while Forge have 11 goals scored, nine goals conceded. So same amount of goals conceded, but just Pacifica scored eight more goals. And you've seen that difference in, in, in these matches and the way that Pacifica have been so clinical when they've had those opportunities. And moving forward, Mike, for Pacific, it's is is there a team really? If now they've beaten Forge in Hamilton, is there a team that can rival Pacific as the front runners for the season right now? There's somebody that can go against them, or are they the the favorites now, the early favorites of going the full way and being regular season champs and maybe even winning the North Star Shield at the end? Yeah, for me, they've got to be favorites, especially with how Kieran Baskets got taken uh, in Augusto's place and this looks without without mistake, really, which is what this downfall of the other um, young goalkeeper has been. Cedric Toussaint, I mean, yeah, I touched on. Um, Hajinapur, um, but I think Cedric Toussaint's been the best DM in this uh, in the league this season. His work rate is incredible, and if you can get him playing alongside Manny Aparicio, the, the opportunities to defend very well are there, but the opportunities to break are, and to attack are there. So they've got a real mix of everything. There's not too much change, which a lot of these other teams have had. Um, you look at the two centre-backs, two, two of the best centre-backs in the league. Uh, Stephen Yates has been a great signing. I mean, if they do end up losing Sean Young to his rumours of MLS interest, Stephen Yates has shown great ability in the, in the midfield, really really comfortable on the ball. I'd like to see him be a bit more adventurous maybe when he gets into that final third. There's times when you think he could be a little bit more attacking, but he is quite safe at times with the ball. But you've got Adonijah Reach really shown up and there's so much put on the um, sort of shoulders of Issa Longaro as this big new signing. He hasn't lived up to it, sadly, but Janaria Daniels and uh, Adonijah Reed give them those extra options. And I mean, Ayman Salou's been the signing of the summer, uh, signing of the off-season so far. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he has been. He just <laughs> simply has been, I think. Um, I think for me as well, one of the biggest differences between Pacific and Forge is the Pacific... The, the players that they've brought in, the system that they're playing, it, it's so exciting. It's so fresh. It feels like they're coming together for something special again, like they did in 2021. And I think for Forge, Reese, you mentioned it a bit there, where it, it, it it's now not about tactical or the way they set up. It's more about the pressures of dealing with that they're the best team and trying to keep that going in their players and their mentality. And We've seen that at the very top, right? The best teams, the best managers are the ones that are not afraid of switching things up, 
when things are getting a bit stagnant. And it's always a tough thing because football has always been a bit nostalgic, a bit of a sentimentality. Loyalty is a huge part. You know, you want to stick to the players that have got you to where you are before, just like Kyle Becker, Tristan Borges, um, uh, Dominic Samuel, Tristan Henry, all of these staples of Forge. But I'm curious if, you know, maybe moving forward, they have to switch things up. They have to change things up, bring new players in, bring fresh blood in. Forge has never been a team that likes to do wholesale changes. They've always liked to have maybe one or two key additions, but keep the same makeup. But maybe it's starting to be time that they start to look for a new Maybe not a new, entirely new direction, but maybe bringing in some some fresh options that uh, can breathe new life into a team so they can sort of maybe take this pressure off of the these players always having to be at their very best because trying to do that for five, six, seven years, it's it's very tough. It's very taxing. Um, so I'm curious to see maybe that, that's something that they can do moving forward. But that is it for our recap for uh, this uh, week's games. We're going to move in now to our player of the weeks. Reese, since you are our guest, I will let you start. Who was for you the player of the week? In my head, I was battling between Myra Bevan and Callum Watson. Both players obviously scored a brace this weekend and Bevan with his physicality was excellent. Um, but I've gone for Watson just because I think his awareness of space impressed me in particular. And then leading Halifax's counter press, he made six recoveries in the opposition's half, which is quite strong. Uh, to get the two goals on top of that, I just thought he was fantastic. So he's definitely my player of the week. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that one is a very much an easy one. He's just he was just a quality player, and I think a lot of people didn't expect that um, to have a player like that step up. Uh, and now with Halifax having Jean Morelli come back there have another player that can sort of step in and up in that way so it'll be exciting to see how uh patrice geyser deals with these different players but yeah fantastic game from watson mike what about you i can sort of guess for you who is going to be your uh player of the week but go ahead and explain to us why you chose this player as your player of the week yeah the other guy with the brace um like Reese just said my Bevan. um we've we we spoke about Cavalry these last few weeks just wanting to see them get in the game more. He's, I mean, Maya Bevan's still been scoring goals, yet having very few opportunities and one of the lowest shot percent, like the lowest number of shots of strikers in the league um, leading into this game. And he really did find a ways of, um, I can't think of the right word, but bullying this disorganised uh, Vancouver defence. Like, he he was on top throughout um, and was able to play his game and was able to get the goals that he deserved. And he did all this good work off the ball as well, but he managed to really capitalise on what was in front of him in this uh, in this game and got two goals that he deserved. Yeah, and I think he shows that strikers, you know, there is at least one striker in the CPL that can can show up in those moments and not have to rely so much on the wing play. I think he was very, very solid um, in that match against Vancouver. I think for me, even though that the Ottawa lost, I think I was most impressed by Noah Verhoeven. We've seen that he's an incredible impact sub. He has come on a couple of times in the games and changed the game for Ottawa, or at least, you know, added that uh, electric pace, that dynamism that sometimes is lacking. 
And in the way that they started, he he gave exactly that. Like I mentioned earlier, he sort of took advantage of the fact that uh, York weren't weren't covering those wings very well, allowing him to have so much space or having allowing him to overload. And he ha- had the opportunity to score, uh, but he hit the post at his first opportunity and the second opportunity he actually scored. And I think he was just really, really solid for Ottawa. And maybe he's a player that Ottawa can sort of try to bring in more and rely on more to to help the attack get going because like we've said sometimes when plan a isn't working they need to rely on a plan b i think Noverhoven is a really good plan b even if he's involved in plan a just switch styles a bit and i think he can still bring that same sort of energy that he does off the bench and in this game how he started um and help ottawa be a bit more consistent but that's my player of the week. And that is our show. Thank you so much again for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to follow us once again on Twitter so they can give us your thoughts on each of the week's episodes. And if you have any interesting facts, stats, or questions, please let us know. We would love to hear from you. If you have any ideas on guests that you want to hear, whether it be analysts like Reese or other players or coaches, let us know. We're always happy to bring people on to talk about the CPL. Um, and yeah, uh, until next time, I'm Felipe Ojejo. And I'm Mike Rice. I'm Reese Desmond. And this has been Coast to Coast FC signing out. Mm-hmm.